It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our own good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many will become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of God, still speaking today. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Last week I made this metaphor, and it still applies. We're going to talk about that today, that how our spiritual life is kind of like a long-distance run. And even though we may hit the wall many different times, we're called to tough it out. It takes discipline to run a marathon, and it takes discipline to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Hardships that we endure, that come upon us, can be disciplines that help us to share in God's holiness. And in these verses I read today, we're shown that an important part, an important part of our faith journey is discipline. Verse 11 again. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And if you have done any athletic training, maybe in your younger years, then you understand that when you start out training your body, there's going to be pain and discomfort that you have to work through. And continued training, if you continue training your body, eventually that pain might just become a discomfort. It might eventually disappear entirely. Good, focused training allows the athlete to reach new heights in their 
journey, whatever they're training for, if it's running or to get more strength, as they discipline their body, they're going to reach new levels. And with each of these new levels, they might experience different pain and discomfort that they have to work through. If you're running a marathon, they describe this as hitting a wall when they're running. They have to push through to go through that wall if they want to continue in the race. And just like long-distance runners, each of us has to decide, do I stop here so the pain and the discomfort stops? Or do I push through the pain and continue onwards towards my goal? As we encounter hardships and discomfort and pain, do we stop where we are and give up? Or do we push through continuing in our prayer, our worship, and God's word in our lives? God's word here is showing us that God disciplines us so we can participate in his holiness. Holiness requires us to be different. Being holy, if you read through God's word, it means you're being completely and wholly set apart. You're being separated from imperfection and impurity. God is holy and righteous, perfectly so. And God's plan through our discipleship of Jesus Christ is to become more like God. It is for discipline you have to endure. God will gracefully discipline us. When we begin to faint under the pressure of trials and sufferings and move towards sin and impurity in our lives. God's grace pours into our lives. Just like water, if you've watched marathons, they have people holding cups of water. And they're running along, they grab a cup, some just splash it, some drink it, some drink it and spit it out. But we can be refreshed just like those long-distance runners by and through God's grace that pours over our lives. And we're being molded by God, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ as we journey on further. And His word shows us we're being disciplined. God wants to discipline us so we can bear the fruit of righteousness and peace. In the Gospel of John, in the 15th chapter, Jesus said this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Through God's discipline, we are being pruned so we can bear more fruit. Why? So we can correct ourselves and bear more fruit of righteousness and peace. I think we all agree that discipline and correction can be unpleasant, and it's painful to bear at first, but it will lead to peace and righteousness if we only bear it. The more that light of Christ shines into our lives, the stronger his witness is going to be and the easier it's going to be for other people to believe and surrender themselves to Jesus. 
If you remember the story from a few weeks ago in the gospel where Jesus told the parable of the sower and the seed in the good soil, comes from the 13th chapter of Matthew. Jesus said, but the one, the one who receives the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred Sixty or thirty times what was sown. If your life is that good soil that allows God's word to work in you and grow and thrive no matter the circumstances, even if there's a drought in your life, his word says you're going to produce a crop of so much more than what was sown into your life. That's how the gospel, the Christian faith, has spread throughout history and continues to spread today. The good soil of people allowing that seed of God's love to grow. We just need to understand that God disciplines us and tills in our lives so we can be that good soil for that seed of God's love. Let's look at the next few verses, 12 and 13. It begins, therefore, okay, because we just talked about discipline, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Drooping hands and weak knees, that's describing someone who's discouraged. They feel defeated. I think we can all relate to that at some point in our life. We probably experienced that feeling. God's word is telling us to not give in to those feelings of discouragement and defeat. We're called to lift up our drooping hands in worship and to strengthen our weak knees so we continue on in our race of faith. We're called to lift up those those drooping hands. And also it says, make straight paths for your feet. We need to clear away any obstacles in our life that are blocking us from following the path that God has put before us. Often, obstacles in our path are things that happen to us in our past. We refuse to let go of them, leave them behind, so we carry them with us. They weigh us down. We're called to lift up our drooping hands, strengthen our weak knees, and make straight paths so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. God's saying he wants us to heal. He's going to help us heal those parts of our life that are not aligned with his good and perfect will. And we do that by worshiping God lifting our hands, and if we reject the discipline of God, then we run the risk of remaining lame in that part of our life. If you think about this verse and the verses that follow are a call to action, whose responsibility is it to lift their hands? It's our responsibility to lift our drooping hands, strengthen those weak knees, and make straight the path in our race of faith. This call to action continues in the next verse, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
It's saying that we as Christians were called to pursue, to chase after peace and holiness. That, that word that we translate, strive, some, some uh, translations say pursue, it's a uniquely aggressive word. It's actually used sometimes to chase after one's enemies, to persecute. That's how we're supposed to pursue peace, with that type of aggressiveness. That's the goal God sets before us. Following Jesus, we should expect conflict. Jesus said, you know, when you're persecuted for all my account, you're blessed. But how unexpected and disheartening it is when the conflict is encountered in the church body itself. Conflict in the church brings glory to Satan and disgraces God. Few things are going to grieve God more and impede that great race more than conflict in the body of Christ. We know that as United Methodists. And in fact, conflict in the church and the failure to pursue peace is the most public reason so many faithful people never finish the race. So as we run the race, we must heed the call to pursue peace with everyone, both Christians and non-Christians, non-believers alike. Other scriptures further call us to aggressively pursue and chase after peace. Ephesians 4.3 says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Jesus 12, or Jesus, Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, of course, said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. God is clearly showing us that living as Christians, we're we're called to chase after and pursue peace in our lives. And no, it's not easy. It's difficult many times. As we pursue this peace, there's going to be times that we must will ourselves to forgive. Will ourselves to forget. Will ourselves to be kind. Will, will ourselves to be thoughtful. Will ourselves to help other people. And will ourselves to do what Jesus commands us, pray for our enemies. So why is it so important that we pursue peace? The next verse. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Again, this call to action. It's saying that we share, we all share in responsibility for other people's salvation. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See to it, that's a plural command, making it all our responsibility to make sure that no one misses out on the grace of God. We have to consciously involve ourselves in the body of Christ, assuming responsibility for seeing others go on in grace, but also humbly receiving their loving care for us at times. 
we all need grace to finish that race. As that great hymn, Amazing Grace, says, "'Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." If we need a reminder, earlier in Hebrews, we're reminded that God's grace never runs out. There's this uh, illustration I thought was wonderful. It says, just imagine there's this pitcher over you, and it's being poured out over you and your life. It's God's grace, and it never runs out. It's the unending pitcher of grace. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. As we're running our race of faith, God's grace and mercy is always pouring into our lives like that cup of water for the long-distance runner to refresh us, to restore us. If we look back at the previous chapter, chapter 11, it lists all these what we call the heroes of faith, Abraham and Sarah and Noah, and yet here in this chapter, we're given someone, don't model yourself after Esau. If you think about it, Esau was just like a, a living beer commercial. He's bearded and strong and macho. He had one thing on his mind, his own pleasure and well-being, food and drink and sport and sleep. Hey, you only go around once. You have to get it while you can. He is actually a prototype of the modern godlessness. In Esau's pathetic case, he gave up his birthright and his blessing, as it says in God's word, for a meal. After reading through these last few chapters of Hebrews, thinking about the race of faith that we're all on, the question becomes, do we want to finish well? Like a long-distance runner, there's things we can do to finish strong. First, we, we run tough. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. We run together in a pack. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. We pursue peace and holiness, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We accept God's discipline in our lives. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. May you lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before you. May you be continually refreshed and restored through the grace and mercy of God 